everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. If you can believe it, we're at the end of this study in 1 Corinthians until next week (laughs) when we do sort of uh, some cherry picking. Um, But, you know, you've been patient, and uh, for many of you, it's been a... um, a good thing to study along, to, to read scripture in preparation for it. And I just wonder as we, as we wrap up, if there's anybody who'd be so bold as to share, as you, have you studied with me, as you've read, if there's been any sort of like aha moments, any highlights from these past several months, maybe highlights from Holy Week that you'd like to share. And you just said, I had a I had a God encounter. I had an aha moment. Is there anybody like that? We won't belabor it if there's not, but just, just raise your hand and give you, the, give you the mic. Last chance. I know there were aha moments, but some shy people too. No? Okay, I didn't give you enough warning, did I? I should have called each of you separately and said, <laughs> be prepared to talk on Sunday. Okay. Last chance. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Um, I, was, uh, I was thinking about some funny ways that I have been uh, called out, um, not in a, in a good way and not sort of a, in a humorous way, I suppose. Um, like, do you ever have somebody say, oh, you look like so-and-so, and it it doesn't really resonate. It doesn't really like uh, feel good. Even I came to, <laughs> I was new to Newmarket, and I came to a, a group of pastors one morning. And uh, you should know that on six days of the week, I wear a baseball cap. It's just you know easier than like washing your hair. You know what I'm saying? Um, so this is the only day of the week where I don't wear a baseball cap. And I, I come in and meet somebody, and they go, "Hey." You look like Michael Moore. Yeah. <laughs> Famous overweight socialist documentary <laughs> filmmaker. Thank you. Out west, somebody said, uh, "Oh, you're like you're like this guy's doppelganger." Uh, Did you ever watch Mash? You remind me of Radar. And finally, still out west, somebody said, um, oh, do you like The Office? Oh, I love The Office. Um, you remind me of, and I thought they were going to say, uh, sarcastic, cool salesman Jim. It was Dwight, actually. <laughs> this is hurtful. This is hurtful. Well, did you know that, that God can call us out? Uh, one of the things that people misunderstand about the Christian faith, faith is how God uh, utilizes conviction 
for his glory. How many, raise your hand, if you have ever been convicted by God? Yeah, it's a good thing. It doesn't feel good, but this is different than being called Dwight Schrute. This is where you, this is where you feel bad because of something you know to be true uh, about your sin has been revealed. God, you know, just gave you a performance review, and it turns out you got some stuff to work on. It doesn't feel good when your spouse says, you know, darling, I don't feel loved when you act in this way. It doesn't hurt because it's not true. It hurts because you know darn well it's true, and you don't like what it reveals about you. Okay, so here it is. Here's what I want you to remember. Write this down. If God isn't calling you out, you will never get called up. If God isn't calling you out, you will never get called up. If God never dresses you down, he will never grow you up. Uh, So being called out by God, that's a good thing. He loves you enough to tell you about yourself. And listen, God isn't somebody that you know, enters your social media and puts you on blast in the comment section, right, in front of all your friends and followers. Um, It'll make you uh, not appreciate being called out. God actually goes into your inbox, right, tells you, here's something I, I see in you, but he does it in a gentle way. He wants to call us up. Uh, That's why I love about my relationship with God. He never wastes conviction. Uh, God has no desire to tell you off, just to tell you off, to make you you feel bad, to lord it over you. Um, See, some of you are used to giving each other a piece of your mind. And what God wants to do is give you a piece of himself, maybe even all of himself, to help us. So Paul culminates this letter in the Corinthians, to the Corinthians, and he's been challenging God's people to grow up in every single aspect, every area of their life. And then last week, in the 15th chapter, he says how the resurrection impacts all of those things. He shows how the the death, the life, the burial, the resurrection of Christ has called them to a resurrected life, not not a buried life. So he challenges them to that reality. And now in chapter 16, the last chapter, he gives them two uh, takeaways, uh, which really is one area split into two. The area is love. Um, your barometer is love. Uh, it's, it's how you measure, I suppose, where you are in your spiritual maturity. And if you're going to be called out to be called up, you've, you've got to recognize that You're called up to intentional generosity, and you're called up to intentional hospitality. So follow along with me in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men and approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So, look, we're not going to apologize for asking you 
to participate in, in kingdom work. Um, I bet there are many here who have been hurt, scammed, uh, grown cynical because of bad practices of so-called ministries, you know. Um, you've decided now not to be generous at all because of TBN, because of Benny Hinn and Robert Tilton and James McDonald. That's right, I'm naming names this morning. I want to assure you, you will never hear us say, brothers and sisters, today if you would just plant a seed of a $1,000 gift, you know, God is going to bless your business. It's always better with the southern drawl, isn't it? And, and you will be surprised at the double tax return that you get. So if you would just call 1-800-too-blessed-to-be-stressed, then I will... Um, you've seen those shenanigans before, man. You're, you know better. And when you look at the text here that Paul writes, there's no manipulation. There's no promise that uh, if you give, God is going to give you something in return. You know, all the Lord says in other uh, passages is that if you sow sparingly, then you'll reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. But, you know, you're not going to be cursed based on some Malachi passage that that's not our promise, that's not our covenant. We have a better promise. Christ became a, a curse to become a cure. And so if you hear anyone say, you know, your car is going to break down if you don't give, or if you give, you won't get sick and you'll get a promotion and you'll live in Hogs Hollow, uh, that's, a, that's a real Toronto suburb, right? Okay. Um, look, if you hear that, run. Don't walk away from that church, okay? And you'll never hear anything like that at NAC as long as I have a say. But I'm going to tell you that the, the, the role that generosity has in your spiritual growth, Paul is matter of fact in his commitment to call the church to be a giving church. He says that this is the norm in all the churches. This is not some special command to a special church, you know, just the well-off churches. He says it should be done regularly on the first day of every week. That means you, your budgeting routine should be figuring out a way to be generous financially, a regular giver, not a once-in-a-while giver. And I know, you know, I know of some traditions, some churches where, you know, when you become a member, part of the membership process is you have to give them your household income, your T4, you know, and then the pastor tells you how much you're going to give. Now, I don't know where that is in the Bible. Uh, in fact, it sounds a little culty to me, but I go to great lengths to protect myself from knowing what people give. I'm not sure I'm mature enough to handle it, if I'm being honest, I'm not positive that I wouldn't unconsciously suck up to the big givers. Why, yes, Mr. McGillicuddy, I suppose we don't sing enough hymns. Um, <laughs> but the reason I'm not going to apologize for the ask anymore is because I know how generosity, how faithful, obedient giving changes us. It, it matures us. It's good for the kingdom, yes, but it's so good for me. It's so good for you and your soul. That's why the Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive. 
Giving regularly means you need to be looking strategically at how to give. It, it should be a part of the flow of your life, like the same way that you pay your rent or your mortgage on time, the same way, hopefully, that you pay your cell phone bill on time. And notice that generosity should be done universally. Look what Paul says, each one of you. That means it's a commitment of everybody in the church. It's a commitment that if you're a believer, you're thinking through generosity. So even the poor, God calls everybody uh, that's a believer to giving. And notice that there's clarity, though, on where the money is going. Paul says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, some translations say uh, for the saints. You know who the saints are, by the way? Yeah, I'm looking at them, right? You're saints. And so I, I say don't give money to a ministry that you don't know where exactly the money's going. You know, any NAC member uh, can see our budget, question our budget annually, vote down our budget. Everywhere in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, wherever there, there's giving, there's clarity on where the money went. You know, even if you look at that spontaneous giving in the book of Acts, you see that it's given for a particular purpose. And when you look at the giving of the money for the temple that, that Moses was called by God to go to God's people and ask for resources, you know, this much gold, this much cedar, this much silver, this much bronze, uh, God showed them exactly where it was going because God always wants us to see we're sowing so that we can rejoice in the harvest of what God does. I think that's important. That's why, you know, we give to TLC and Bridge North and, you know, maybe some of us need to, like, go down and visit these ministries, look into them and, and find out the impact of what we're giving to. Parents, maybe you need to ask if you can visit Rock some Wednesday night and check out what's going on in King Kids some morning. Visit some of these Alliance uh, New Venture church plants that we participate in and and support because when you see where the resources are going, it changes your heart toward the giving because you, you no longer look at the money, you look at what God is doing. So why am I saying all this? Because um, more than ever, accountability is important, right? S&C Lavalin. I didn't even know what that was until three weeks ago. Um, look, I love the fact that you trust us when we have annual business meetings. You trust us so much that you don't feel the need to come. But <laughs> I want everybody to come one time, at least, and look at where the money is going that you're giving, because it changes your generosity when you see what God is up to, when you see people getting saved and baptized and transformed. It changes your disposition when you see the fruitfulness of your generosity. And sometimes the Holy Spirit might even be telling you to give more than you wanted to. Not all the time, but sometimes he speaks and, and you'll think, God, are you sure? Just, just be obedient. Just give. And, and if you're married, consult your spouse on that too. Don't run home after church and be like, honey, he told me to give the whole paycheck this week. He's like, what? Um, talk to your spouse. But and don't watch somebody else and try to, to give like them. You give as the Lord has proportioned you. 
So when God calls us out, he calls us up. He's calling the Corinthians to, to generosity. You got to remember, God is the most generous being ever. You know, when you were unsaved, he let you breathe his air. He let you harvest his food, you know. He let you bask in his sunlight. Uh, and he did that without you even knowing him as savior. So he's generous. To let somebody live in your house and act a fool and still let them live there and eat your food. and I mean, the universe is the house of God. The earth is his footstool. So in other words, you're never going to beat God at generosity. Um, but I think our generosity should reflect the generous nature of God. Think of what he did for us through Christ. You know, he gave the best of heaven for us, not the least. He didn't even give the second best of heaven. He didn't give us, you know, the, the archangel Michael. It wouldn't have worked. He gave his only son. So generous. So maybe God is calling you out on generosity today, as he regularly seems to call me out on. And so, so for the purpose, though, that we would be called up in maturity, and in sanctification. Remember, these are, these are barometers for our spiritual maturity, um, for where you are in your walk with Jesus Christ. So he talked about generosity, and now he's going to talk about hospitality. Now, it's a word uh, that itself is not used in this passage. The practice of it sure is. So hospitality literally means uh, a friend of strangers. In other words, you're to be a welcoming person, uh, not an unwelcoming person. Have you ever been around somebody and you just like, you just get the vibe. They don't want you around. You walk into a room and there's someone there and it just feels like everything in them is saying, get out. That's not a hospitable person. And here Paul is referring to people who have a welcoming theology, a welcoming philosophy. And their Christianity actually blesses others. Here's what he says. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Paul says he's going he's to come visit. And he goes on to say, perhaps I will stay with you for a while. Interesting that he says, perhaps. I wonder if Paul might literally be saying, maybe you'll be hospitable to me? Question mark. Um, because you have to understand, like, there's some tension here with Paul. If you've read this, this book of the Bible, you get it. If, if you remember throughout the book, they didn't root for Paul that much. They didn't defend Paul that much. But it's interesting that he's willing to test their spiritual maturity by coming into houses where he knows he's not particularly liked. Look what he says, and listen to the affection in his voice. Or even spend the winter. How many of you know the winter is a long time? Can you imagine spending a Canadian winter with somebody who doesn't like you? Um, if you don't like me, like that's all good. I, I can go out this back door and I've got a home and college manor. And that's, but Paul says he wants to spend some time with these people who may not like him. Paul goes on to say, I don't want to see you in passing. Okay, this isn't the obligatory 
shake hands and kiss babies, or shake babies and kiss hands, whatever, however that works. He wants to spend time with them. Brittany, just settle down, okay? <laughs> Do you know how much maturity that takes? Uh, to want to be around somebody who you know has something against you? Paul says, I want to spend some time if the Lord permits. That means he's, he's praying that God would open a door for him to spend time with people that don't like him. That's rough. And that's real Christianity. That's mature Christianity. is not for the faint of heart where you want to be around everybody who makes you feel good. Um, but he's around there to serve them. And look what he says. I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for effective work has been open to me, and there are many who oppose me. Some translations say there are many adversaries. So Paul's talking about Christians who are going through a lot of persecution. He's going, he's going to spend time with Christians who are going through a lot, and they are willing to be hospitable in the midst of their hard times. Um, in other words, the hard times in your life aren't soulless seasons. These Christians are going through persecution, and they may have to say, look, Paul, uh, come around the back. Like, pull the car into the alley. Turn the headlights off, because um, if they see you come, like, you're going to have to, like, drive up to the window with the lights off, and there'll be a a knotted bed sheet coming out the window, and you're going to have to come up that way, right? But Paul is willing to lovingly commit to effective ministry in the midst of chaos. Now, watch what Paul does here. This is, this is grown woman, grown man stuff here in the Spirit. Verse 10, he says, When Timothy comes, uh, see to it that he has nothing to fear. Some translations say, just put him at ease. Like, it's... It's, it's kind of bad that Paul has to tell them that, you know? He has to tell a Christian to treat a Christian missionary with hospitality. M- mature Christians should already know that and be committed to doing that kind of stuff as part of a normative Christian experience. And Paul ends this section by saying, help him on his way in peace, support his ministry. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. That's interesting. Uh, any theories? Anyone uh, want to maybe read in between the lines there? Like, I think Apollos straight up told Paul, mm, no, I'm, I'm going to roll down to Ephesus and... Maybe I'll see the Corinthians later. I'm just reading what the text says. Apollo says he'll come when he has an opportunity. So maybe, maybe this ain't the easiest people to love. Um, maybe this is not the easiest church to hang out with. And, and some churches are like that. And they, they even loved Apollos because he was the preacher's preacher. But maybe Apollos was like, man, I need to rebuild my self-esteem. I need to get some wins under my belt before I face these clowns again. You know what I'm saying? Well, let's put it all together now. Love plus hospitality equals maturity. And Paul, Paul then encourages the Corinthians. He says, verse 13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. What's he saying here? Be, be spiritual adults. Um, some translations use 
words about being manly. This is not a gender thing. Um, it doesn't apply just to men. It's, it's about being a spiritual adult. Like he says in chapter 13, when I, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. And when I became a man, I put away childish things. Those are about spiritual maturity. So um, that means that no matter like what season you are in your life, what generation you are, millennial or boomer or buster, builder, uh, hippie generation, hip-hop generation, Pepsi generation, whatever it is, you are culturally and economically, all, all of us are called to have a robust commitment to spiritual maturity. And that means um, you've got you've to hear hard words from God sometimes because ultimately it helps the healing and the development of your soul. And so now he gives a case study of hospitality. Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. 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 So um, let's, they, didn't, they didn't do that in Bible school for me. They didn't do that one word. So let's break uh, these, this story down. He says, when Stephanus and his whole household trusted Jesus Christ as Savior... Um, that they'd grown in spiritual maturity in Achaia. And now their maturity or their fruitfulness in what God was doing in their life was even affecting the city. It was coming, it, it, was, it was spreading outside the walls of the church. And so what Paul, I think, is helping us to recognize and understand from a hospitality standpoint, from a love standpoint, is that God has saved you for more than just you, right? Uh, he saved you for a harvest. So when you get harvested, you're supposed to become a harvester as well. And, and Paul goes on to say about these dudes, they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. They're not selfish Christians, right? He says, to, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it, and then he says, Stephanus, Fortunus, Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. Uh, some translations say they, they've made up for your absence. Um, what, what does that mean? The translation literally means they filled in the gaps. They filled in the gaps. Um, they, they didn't come to the church to look for faults. They came in with a glass half-full philosophy. Instead of complaining about the deficiencies of the church, they plug themselves in and they start to spackle the mess-ups. How many had to spackle their, their drywall? You should see our rental home. It's like all the pictures that have been pulled out and all the nails that were pulled out, there's just holes everywhere. And you know what you have to do. You have to like, before you can paint it, you have to get the spackle and sort of spread that over and then you got to wait till it dries and then you got to sand it down and level it so nothing is sticking out or uneven and then what you do is is you paint over it so you don't see any of those deficiencies well you know it's kind of what mature christians do in the church uh, spiritual christians kind of spackle in the brokenness 
of the church they're in. So these three men, Paul says, I'm picking them up. I love these three so much. I want you to recognize that they've, they've filled in the gaps that you guys haven't. And Paul goes on to say about these three guys, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. You know, there have been people in Vicky and Mai's 22-plus year marriage who have refreshed our spirit, uh, who have invited us over and been generous with their food and their accommodations. And, you know, we were the poor young couple in the townhouse with a 1986 Reliant K car, you know. And, and they were the people who would ask us penetrating questions or maybe discerned that we just needed to laugh. Um, times of feasting and gift giving and praying and encouraging. You got people who refresh your soul. Maybe are you the people who could refresh someone else's soul? What a ministry that is. What a gift that is to maybe a young couple, single person. You don't have to have a big house, by the way. You, don't, you can do this in a dorm room. You know, you can be renting a room, and where you are is where you can show off the glory of Christ. You don't have to wait until you get all the stuff in place. You don't need a dining room or a sitting room and deck furniture. You can be hospitable where you are because there's always gleanings to leave. Like, remember when we talked about Ruth almost, was it a year ago? The, the law in the Old Testament said if you had land, just don't glean sort of the edges so that like those who didn't have land, they could kind of come in and, and glean uh, so perhaps you could even build a relationship with them, tell them the truth about Yahweh, or just maybe meet a practical need to strengthen them in their journey. So everybody got gleanings that they can leave out. And, you know, I think of my folks, uh, no longer in what we call full-time vocational ministry, but man, in ministry nonetheless, in their retired years, not getting a paycheck for it, but ministering in this, you know, in this townhouse complex with a, with a Muslim family and a single mom and kids who love it when the Ganyus come over because they always seem to be bearing gifts and encouragement and help. Think of my father-in-law, Andy, you know, downsized, recently a widower in a, in a, in a condo complex in Ohio reaching out to widows and widowers and fixing faucets or just listening. Um, he drove this legally blind neighbor across the country because, well, he loves to drive. He had the time. He, he was used by God in both small and profound ways, gleanings. So when you have your funeral and there's that open mic moment. You know, what are people going to say about you? What are, what are people going to say about your commitment to Jesus Christ and, and your affection for Jesus and your affection for them that impacted others on their journey? And so he closes with this. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Now, you got to understand, everybody in the known world of Christianity at this time knew how messed up, jacked up, broken, 
the Corinthian church was. So I want you to read that in light of that context and listen to what Paul says, even in the midst of how trifling this church was, how perverted and scandal-ridden and downright foolish they were, how snooty they were, how unloving towards the poor that they were. Look at what he says about them. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. There's another view of hospitality. How did these churches in Asia greet the Corinthians? Paul says, they greet you warmly in the Lord. You know, it's hard in my humanness, but I've found in the Lord, you can greet everybody and anybody. And then Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, pastor, you got to explain this holy kiss, because I know, I know some of y'all ain't even cool with a hug at the door from the greeters. So are we going to have to bring breath freshener? And, you know, um, it's, it's, is it going to be like, uh, welcome to NAC? And then, uh, just, you know, it's weird, right? Licking your lips like LL Cool J or something, and... That's not what he's talking about here. Look, there's a cultural thing at work, obviously. Is it common in 2019 Canada to greet each other with a kiss? No. Is it common in parts of Europe for men with men, women with women, men with women to greet each other with a kiss? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty normal. And it was culturally normative at that time, maybe a bit of even a crossover from Judaism. Here's what's interesting to me, though is that the greeting through a kiss is a greeting for family, for friends. It was evidence of reconciliation. They were in a reconciled, healthy relationship. It signified, I'm in good standing with this person. You know, we don't have any unresolved junk hanging over us. We may have at one point, but we sorted it out, and now we can kiss each other. So when Jacob and Esau reconciled in Genesis, they greeted with a kiss. It's, it's why the kiss of Judas is so galling. It wasn't just a signal to point out Jesus. It, it was using a sign of reconciled relationship, which was, of course, a lie. So, so was this church known for being reconciled or unreconciled with each other? Unreconciled, Right? So yeah, maybe this is another call out. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Be reconciled. No more grievances or cliques or sitting on different sides of the church. Get her done before next communion, okay? We're family here. God is our father. No hypocritical Judas kisses allowed. And Paul says, I write this greeting with my own hand. He says, I'm not dictating this. I'm literally writing this, and it's a long letter, and it shows how much I love you. There's a reason why I write this, because I love you. But he gets real gangster on this verse. He says, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Paul, you went from kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy to like kapow. Um, I think he's assuming, though, that they have love. And in other words, he's telling the Corinthians that if what I'm saying to you doesn't cause you to move towards the Lord, I'm not so sure that you know the Lord. Well, 
Uh, Paul finishes by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you. In Christ Jesus, amen. I just want to invite the band to come back as we close. You know, this whole study in 1 Corinthians is that there is good news for a busted up, broken church. Um, A church is like a hospital of messy people that are under the knife of Dr. Jesus sometimes, right? Your Christian life was meant to be a a calling up, and sometimes it it requires a scalpel. Like chapter 1 and 2 says that we're broken because we're so clicky, but the good news is that we find unity in the cross of Christ. And then chapter uh, 3 and 4 says that we're carnal and we're foolish, but through the Holy Spirit, we can be truly spiritual and even wise. And then chapter 5 and 6, that, that we are messed up in our relationships, in our marriage, in our sexuality, in our... Um, but the good news is that God provides a pathway to healthy and whole and pure and reconciled relationships. On and on in this letter, the situation is bleak and it's dark and it's broken, but the outlook is optimistic because the good news of the gospel provides answers. You know, my prayer is that through this series, your, your soul has been encouraged, but it's been challenged. I pray that, pray in the mighty name of Jesus that we would be a community committed consistently to growing up. And may he even call us out if he needs to. Every week I've wanted to leave you with a a practical challenge. Um, And so as as we end by responding in the the worshipful act of giving, um, maybe some of you need to step out in generosity this morning. Uh, If you've never given to a church or given sporadically, what would it look like to challenge yourself to give 1%? Um, That may seem very impossible to you today, like every penny is accounted for, and I get that. I'd say, in faith, try it. And you may find that you're not only able to do that, but the next week, you could do 2%. Um, For others today, what would it look like to be hospitable? Uh, It might just mean putting an extra cup of soup or a cup of water in the soup, right? And, and letting go of the fact that your house isn't perfect and spotless and recognizing that people would rather have you present than perfect. Uh, you know, I know, I know we are a friendly church. We are a notoriously friendly church. But that only goes so deep and so far. Are we a hospitable church? Could we grow in that? I think we could. I think we could. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come. And uh, would you take this time to reflect on these words that you're going to see on the screen? Take the time to search your heart. Challenge yourself. God, you have called us deeper. You have called us higher. And we'll go where you send us.